Hello and welcome to episode 204 of Relics of War. I am Eric, aka Shogaku, taking the place of Justin, aka Grybok, who normally runs the show. And joining me this week is a fellow Relics of War for contributor who hasn't been on the show for a while, Squirrel, aka Christian. How are you doing, Christian? Hi, I'm doing all right. I managed to knock off work early, which means with a later recording time today, I am taking the place of Kate, who's otherwise occupied. So we're in charge now. <laughs> the B team has taken over, and we're going to tell you all about lots of things from the balance patch that just happened on Tuesday, because this is the Relics of War episode for August 9th. And we're also going to talk about episode 6 that just came out, which was the end of Living World Season 3. And so we're going to kick this fungal wall and get right into it. So, first of all, let's see here, looking at our show notes... So the spoiler bouncer is here, but we've already mentioned that in the last couple of episodes, and presumably he is now opening the floodgates to what happened in the last episode, and we're going to discuss all of that today. Yep, floodgates open. So here we go. There were a lot. the The overall storyline was had a lot of go a lot of moving pieces there were a lot of different uh settings i guess you could say for this story specifically it started with you uh being contacted by uh, countess anise and you needed to go to a secret white mantle hideout where one of her agents was trapped and you meet up with her agent who is whose name is turns out is secret for some reason and she can't tell you who she is but she seems pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, a lot like a niece, sort of that sort of, uh, biting dialogue and such. And you do, uh, you do a few things with her. You find that, uh, she has been hunting for the bits and bobs that are Lazarus the Dyers, Lazarus the Dyer being a, the last Mersot. We were trying to find, she was trying to find the last bits and bobs of his, they call them his, uh, I don't remember what they call them. I basically, every time I heard the word, it... I just substituted it with Hocrux. Yeah, it, it's not the aspects, is it? Uh, it's something like, yeah, the aspect of him, because he split himself into different aspects, yeah. Something to that effect. Uh, so anyways, she's looking for the different parts, and there's five of them, which we learned uh, two episodes ago during the White Mantle assault on uh, on Divinity's Reach. And was that two episodes ago or one episode ago? Uh, I'm not the person to ask. While I play the living story, I don't find myself uh, particularly engaged with it. So it tends to leave my... And I typically only play it once in it, so it leaves my uh, conscience fairly quickly after that, I'm afraid. I'm looking it up. All right. So, 
Oh yeah, Flash. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was episode four, which was Head of the Snake. We learned that there were five bits and bobs, and then in Flashpoint, we learned in episode five, we learned that Balthazar was in fact the one who had been masquerading as Lazarus the Dyer. But uh, this this specific agent we learn is trying to deal with the various aspects of uh, of Lazarus the Dyer, and so you team up with her. And she says, there's only one way that you can possibly learn all my secrets. And then she takes you to the secret hideout underneath uh, underneath Divinity's Reach of the, of the uh, Shining Blade. And from there, you are forced, basically, narratively, to swear allegiance to the Shining Blade. Because that has always worked great for everyone involved. You do that, and then from there, then she reveals that uh, she's trying to get all the aspects of Lazarus the Dyer together so that she can summon him, build him back together, and then kill him once and for all. Because apparently you can't destroy the aspects, and they've tried with magic and that sort of thing. So getting him out of the aspects and into the material world to kill one Mursat is really not the hardest thing, especially if it turns out that uh, you happen to have two chosen who have also been through the Ascension and are basically nearly immune to uh, the horrors that are spectral agony. So then you are also trying to find Balthazar at the same time because it turns out that both of your both of what you need coincides because Balthazar has the fifth aspect of the... Uh, has the fifth aspect of Lazarus the Dyer. It also turns out that the Eye of Janthir, which you found at the beginning of this story uh, in a white mantle hideout, can lead you right to the last aspect of Lazarus the Dyer. Uh, and before, it, yeah. before we plow on too far, I did want to uh, talk a little bit about the first few um, story instances because there was some cool stuff uh that happened in there. Uh, I played through with Spirit, and in the instance where you go and save, um, is it Kadira? Is that her name? Yeah. The secret agent. Um, there's a cool little puzzle mechanic uh, to free her with the, the bloodstone uh, shards. And the environment is um, very much, well, it's a white mantle bastion, I suppose, or... Um, castle which is very similar to the third raid wing uh um the keep so a lot of the architecture was very similar there and uh the enemies are all white mantle as well and there are some new i think some slightly new enemies and skills in place there so that was all quite uh, interesting and then the initiation rights to the shining blade was a cool um sequence as well uh, yeah. So with Spirit there with me, she just had to kind of sit in the stands and cheerlead. I don't think she even really got anything that she could do to help out, like you often do when you have those kinds of trials, like chuck toilet paper or sand or something to help out in the fight arena. Um, but yeah, the mm. the challenges that you undergo... Uh, they're all kind of cool. The camera gets taken out of your control, I think, for a little bit. Um, 
and eventually you face off against a kind of doppelganger. So I guess in many ways it parallels the uh, Rites of Ascension. Yeah. What do you you make of that? Well, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, there were a few things going on there. Uh, And actually, so in Living World Season 2, we pseudo-ascended. They said that you can't complete the final aspect of Ascension uh it's it's not a full ascension it just sort of gets you kind of there um and and one of the big things was you didn't fight your doppelganger as far as i recall in living world season two and that was like sort of the thing that finalizes ascension so when i saw my doppelganger i was like oh oh this is the final step to ascending like our characters are now as far as i could tell about as close as you can get to ascended without having to step on all of the little icons in and moon oasis uh which we may end up doing that could be kind of interesting uh so yeah yeah it was really similar to sort of going through an ascension aspect which i thought was kind of kind of interesting and it, it definitely plays out later on in it what did you think of... I was kind of surprised, actually, going back to the first zone, that that it was so detailed. It almost felt like I had wandered into an area that was meant to be used for something else other than just, like, a really short mission. And I did the mission, and I was like, I just feel like... It, it, it felt kind of weird. Like, it, there was so much detail and so many little fiddly bits that I was like, they spent a lot of time on this. So, Were I you, mean, in the past, you notice that? the trend has always been that your instances for the story take place within the open world maps. You just get a closed off instance, they draw a boundary and say, this is where the story is taking place. Has that, I'm trying to think now, um, back over the sort of last season, has that been changing where now there are actually um, pockets outside of the more and more i suppose pockets outside of the open world that you can't get to unless you go there through the story and then this could just be the the largest and most developed that we've had alongside the the shining blade one afterwards because as far as i know that's not accessible in the open world either is it no, no, it's not uh, none of the zones really aside from some uh aside from the new zone itself are are accessible in the open world to the extent which you interact with them they you, they have fairly clear like entry points uh in the open world but they don't necessarily give you a, it's not a normal like sub like sub area of an existing map and they've been Flashpoint had a little bit of that, but that was using already created areas. Um, Head of the Snake technically used some stuff that's been in-game for a long time. And all of the other ones actually tended to use pre-existing areas and architecture, uh, either in the new maps that existed. Uh, the Flashpoint did have the new zone where you saw and dealt with uh, Primordius, that is not accessible normally. But this one, this one definitely, I th- I think possibly because this is the finale of season three, they wanted to really just push what they could do. And so, so we got those three 
areas that are not part of the existing map. We got the one at the beginning where you meet Karita. Then we got the really detailed and very interesting uh, one with the Shining Blade. And then the final one where you're chasing the Eye of Janther and finally facing off against against Lazarus and having reveals occur that aren't as big of reveals depending on who you are. Uh, which is interesting, and we'll talk about we'll talk about that final story step in a second. But getting back to the second story step, it was definitely interesting how it similar how many parallels there were with Ascension. What did you think of the of the of the play that they did? Did you guys uh, clear the achievements on that first try? Um, we got a few of them. I'm not sure whether we checked them all off. I know that I, I did, because uh, I played it on my Revenant and been running a Condi build in open world for my Revenant um, just to mix things up. And I managed to beat my doppelganger and get the achievement for that one, which I think was just defeating it without going down. Uh, there were two achievements. One is called fear, uh, fearful or fearless. Mm -hmm. If you defeat it using the, using going up and getting the debuff from the spirits that show up and say mean things to you, that gives you the fearful, uh, achievement. If you do it without using those spirits, then you get the fearless achievement, Right. Uh, which is really quite difficult. Uh, so... there's also another, yeah. I don't believe I noticed or understood uh, in particular detail the mechanics of that fight. I always find it's very difficult when they're trying to do interesting things in the living story with gameplay mechanics because they're typically um, shrouded by the UI icons that pop up, which means you need to ho hover the mouse over it or shift-click it to get it in your chat so that you can then look at it and read the description, which might be quite long. And all that while you're trying to stay alive. So I kind of caught the debuff buffing situation between me and my doppelganger, but I didn't really notice anything else around me because I was too focused on trying to deal with what was there at hand. So I believe yeah. I got fearless because I just had no idea what was happening. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I got fearful because I I started looking around because I was like, why am I dealing no? This is this is there has to be a better way to do this. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, there was also previous achievements when you went to when they redid. I really enjoyed the section where you were basically at. I should really know what the name of the place is called. The Hengeden Ravi. Uh, when you are when they recreated the battle for the Hengeden oh, Ravi yeah. that I remember playing in Guild Wars one. I was like, OK, that's that's fan servicey, but I like it. And I liked fighting off the hordes and, and just how ridiculous they played up, like the betrayal and everything. And it was it was a lot of fun because there were there's a lot of fun to be had with those cutscenes, such as Sidra no <laughs> and all that. I mean, there's there's just so many like just classic mediocre voiceover in Guild Wars One that is just ripe for being made fun of. Uh, and I kind of like that they sort of nodded at that. So the uh, achievement for that one was uh, where you have to just last more than five minutes, was it? There are two achievements. There is last for a certain amount of time. I think it was five minutes. And then there was uh, kill 50 of the White Mantle that show up. Okay. And I 
since I was solo and I am a bad player, I did not get either of those achievements. I was like two away when they downed me for the last time. And I, I was sad. don't know if I got either. Uh, Kate stepped AFK in that one and said, just try and go for it and see how far you get. Um, I I did not make it very far, but it was fun, and it'd be interesting. Yeah. It's definitely a situation I think where you would go in there and um, change your build up completely to potentially, depending on what you play, um, to deal yeah. with that scenario. So that, that'd be it's... cool for replayability there. Yeah, I definitely. A lot of the living world stuff is made a lot easier by playing as a necro, just because of Condi explosions uh, with. With that situation, had I played a little bit less greedy and actually known what the achievements were before looking at them, I probably could have fairly easily gotten it because I, I was really close. It was just a matter of staying at range and just keeping the the condies coming. Nice. Uh, so it was, and you got a cool, there was a cool uh, special ability that you got. I think it was, a, I think it was a special skill that allowed you to res a bunch of your yeah. allies too, which was neat. So it's it's an interesting fight. I kind of look forward to playing around with it and seeing if there is numbers beyond 50 and like if they <laughs> just sort of give you like a running total of what you did, what your best was and turn it into like a weird horde mode for people to go in and play. You high score. Yeah. That that would actually be kind of awesome. Uh so that was so there was that uh what did you think about the elemental attunement thing that occurred to you? as part of the like where they threw rocks at you and you're sitting there and they're chucking rocks and you're like this is so weird and you're like i'm never gonna tell the secrets of the white of the shining blade and then all of a sudden they just oh avalanche of, of boulders on you yeah like the trials yeah. with the boulders it's just all some boulders it's like how am i not dead yeah they were pretty brutal <laughs> i thought and kind of funny as well that uh that you do survive them but i guess in some sense uh at the level that we're at with the power that we've absorbed, uh, you're, you know, we're approaching levels of um, deity, I guess, in terms of yeah. ability to survive things and, and dispense magic. Yeah, that is probably true. And since it was probably a magical collapse that hit you, you probably dispelled a bit of the of the magic rock that hit you. But I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, what did you think of the Shining Blade? That it is a literal sword that they're referencing that is basically a Halo Covenant sword. Yeah, all <laughs> no, right. Um, that was really cool. It's the new legendary sword, and it's called the Shining Blade. The design is almost an exact um, replica of their logo with the sort of crown of thorns and the sword striking through it. So... The crown of thorns forms the hilt, and I believe when you, I can't remember which way around it is, but I, I had noticed in the preview for the legendary when I first saw it, it wasn't a full circle, but the one in the story instance is, and I believe it's an effect that happens when you stow and draw the weapon. I don't know which way around it is, but it does have both the full circle and the half circle hilt guard. Yeah, it. Uh, I believe it switches to the half circle hilt guard when you actually draw it. Yeah, which would which is kind of neat. Yeah. Um, not, not exactly my style. Uh, I don't. Not a big fan of bolt, and this one didn't uh, scratch 
my itch either, so I'm still out on swords when it comes to legendaries. Um, but yeah, um, good to have another one, I guess, for so that you you do at least have a choice. Yeah, and it it is pretty cool if you go with like a celestial like guardian or something. If we ever get like celestial uh, celestial legendary armor that looks like uh like twilight. Because if you had a guardian with Twilight, Astralaria, and that yeah. sword, I don't think that you'd have to have offhand axe. Well, there's that but new if aura you get... that came out, um, was it last story episode, uh, which is kind yeah. of like the aura uh, that Astralaria has, and you can now, that's, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know when that, when the, where that one came out, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Uh, so yeah, there. Yeah, so you can go full space, man. <laughs> Shall we so, get to the reveal? Let's get so to, to the speak? yeah. Let's get to the reveal. So at the end, we discover that the that Karita is trying to, as as she told us, trying to summon uh, Lazarus the Dyer in order to kill him. Which a lot of people have given it a lot of shade on Reddit and stuff. It's like, oh man, the the Mersat are supposed to be so hardcore. And I'm looking at going, I don't know, like our characters 250 years ago just wrecked the Mersat. And we had a hard time with, you know, with the legendary destroyer. And we, you know, we're killing dragons now. So I feel like our characters are a bit more powerful. And the fact that we're near ascended. Yeah. 250 years of power creep sure adds up. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So, so I didn't have a problem with the fact that summoning and killing the Mersat was the was the final say. I will say it was interesting that the prophecy was basically finishing off the Flame Seeker prophecy. Is that two cho- Is that the chosen would finish off all of the Mersat? Uh, I wonder if we ever go to the Isles of Janther. I wonder if it's just going to be crawling with Titans. And that's why the Mursat are all dead now. Um, good question, but perhaps something to think about another time. Yeah, it's, if, yeah, you know, dude, I'm, I'm running a show. I got a tinfoil hat. This yeah, I am not prepared. I don't have one. I am not safe from your wild crazy theories. <laughs> so, okay, the, so then we'll in the trailer. Uh, for the episode, there was a lot of talk about one particular character. I have just been handed a piece of tinfoil. Uh, I shall have oh, to good. Good job. Uh, turn that into a hat as I talk. Anyways, there was a particular character, um, a female. She had dark skin and red hair and had a really sort of dramatic appearance in the trailer. And um, a lot of theories revolving around that was that this could be the final reveal uh, of the much-speculated Livia. We did get and... the reveal of Livia, but it was not that one, that lady in the trailer. The lady in the no. trailer was just a random Balthazar um, acolyte or something in the new zone. Yeah, that you can that you can totally kick into the lob in the new yeah. zone. So really badass intro for a somewhat mundane character, and then the actual reveal of Livia um starting through the whole episode like is it gonna happen is it gonna happen when's it gonna happen i was looking at karita and going you know she's got a helmet on none of the others have helmets on she's got kind of dark skin underneath there i think there's some red hair i'm pretty sure this is livia and then in the final instance um that was revealed so not really a big surprise there 
but still a, a bit of a good payoff and I guess somewhat a twist because it wasn't the lady in the trailer. Right, yeah. And as soon as she started making necro puns, I was like, oh, uh, this is, yeah, yeah, this is, this is Olivia. Um, which there, there are some definitely some questions to be asked by this, by this reveal. Um, and the fact that she shows up, she chooses to show up now rather than, you know, earlier in the, in the living world. Uh, what did you think about the fact that it was Livia? Uh, or I suppose we should finish off the, the overarching narrative of this episode. So at the end, Livia takes the shining blade, uh, stabs it into one of Lazarus, Lazarus's aspects, summons Lazarus. That aspect then transports, teleports the shining blade into Lazarus the Dire. So he's basically got a giant sword just impaling him through the entire fight. And he's still a pain detail. in the rear. Oh yeah. No, there's this huge sword just sticking out of his chest. And so a lot of, so that ties back into people complaining about why was it so easy to kill this? Like supposedly near godlike being, I'm like, well, sword out of his chest. It was a really legendary not that weapon strong. Yeah. Like the, 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 he was not in, he was not going to do well. Uh, so how do you feel about Livia being this reveal though? Uh, now there was one issue that a lot of people have talked about is the fact that if you have not played Guild Wars 1, specifically I the North, you don't have any idea who this person is unless you've read, unless you've read a book, uh, unless you've read the CSROs and this is kind of weird. How did you feel about her showing up? Um, I mean, in the instant, like in the moment, it, um, I guess I was like, oh yeah, and there she finally is. And I didn't really think too much more about it. Um, now thinking back to it, um, we're fi- I think we're finding more and more that threads are being pulled through the story from way back. Like we're talking now that Livia is back and there's murmurs about the scepter of ore and its possible use and reappearance maybe it's it, it's still out there somewhere this is stuff that's the story from the original guild wars the scepter of ore and the prophecy and glint all the stuff that uh we may have thought was done and dusted or buried or forgotten about it's now front and center this is the story going forward uh so Which... I, I mean, for me, that's that's exciting. I um, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's interesting. I'm not sure how excited I am for Livia because it feels like they just put a like she existed to to show up and have a bow put on her story. Like she's like, okay, now that I've done this, I'm retiring. I'm done. I'm just gonna get old, and I'm probably gonna die at some point in the future. But I'm not gonna like. It's no longer my problem. Yeah. is what it seemed like, and which was kind of weird. If that's the case as well, then she's <laughs> the one role she had was to show up and to finish Lazarus, which kind of is a, a service to this character who has been doing things for 250 years since we last saw her. Like, what's been happening? Um, what's she been yeah. doing? Yes, she's finally achieved what she's strived her whole life to do. 
Um, and but... more importantly for me, why didn't she show up in episode one? Why haven't we been like having Karita teased this entire time? Like, oh, who's this Karita that we're now working with? Who's specifically like, oh man, Lazarus the Dyer, I gotta kill this dude because it's my duty as a shining blade to you know defend the crown from this guy. And why haven't we had that? And like when Lazarus shows up and he's like talking to you and saying, oh no, it's cool guys, I'm awesome. She's not, why is she not there going, I'm going to destroy you, you know? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of. I guess weird. you can hand wave it, seeing as she was behind enemy lies lines and doing secret spy stuff, and then got stuck. Which means we don't yeah. know necessarily how long she was stuck there in in the in the storyline, and we just happened to uh, be called upon to finally get her unstuck, which meant she could finally join the story uh, front okay. and center. So, I mean, that, yeah. that's one way you could look at it, but still, perhaps not uh, the best the best way to do it. Yeah. I am also curious to see if the expansion pack, which they say is going to be all about Balthazar, or Batazar as I like to call him, explains why Batazar, who was masquerading as as Lazarus, didn't just eat Arine as soon as he saw her. When he like walked in and could have easily killed us while we were being attacked mm. by, by the new uh, Elder Dragon minions. So yep. that's I'm curious about some things. Speaking of which, Balthazar, what do you think? He didn't show up in this, in this, uh, except at the very end in the sort of trailery thing. What do you think of try of chasing Balthazar but never actually interacting with him in this? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not really sure what to say about that. He. I guess if he's being built up as the the big bad evil guy um, or big bad questionable questionable motives guy of the expansion, then we can't really catch him now at the end of the at the end of the season and have a big face off. So he's always got to stay one step ahead, uh, especially to keep that sort of s or that aura of um, power. And and although he may be. He may have been weakened uh, when we last interacted um, with him during the uh, down with Primordus. He did absorb the power of an Elder Dragon, didn't he? Uh, he definitely got a bit of it, which he got enough to... And Well, actually, no, we interrupted him before he could. Okay. He was starting to, and he got a little bit of it. But we had enough to uh, get Omad's machine into Primordius that we were able to put yeah. Primordius and Jormag back to sleep. So uh, we we pushed him out before he could cause before he could get too super powered as a result. Um, but he is still hungry for dragons. Yeah, um, I mean, I am really curious. Uh, it's really cool to see again such a core aspect of the original franchise with the gods and the storyline of the gods and the influence it had on the world of the original game. Uh, and yeah. to see that come back in and and just curious like Balthazar's back what about the others is he is he actually the one that stayed behind quote unquote or um is is he now returning because one of the other ones stayed behind and he, and he's like well yeah. if if someone else stayed behind then why why don't i i you know i can't let them have Tyria all to themselves and have all the elder dragon uh power if it's now available for the taking yeah i wonder 
There's a few. So they had that one line in the expansion trailer where Balthazar said, I will become the only god. So it seems pretty clear that he, and, and I think it that this is a little bit weird. Like, why does he want to become the only god? There's a lot of, like, sort of weird, I don't fully understand. Like, I was kind of expecting him to have shown up because he's coming back to, like, you know, pick up someone who's been hiding, like Lyssa. And pretending to be the queen of <laughs> of Krita. You should put that tinfoil hat on. <laughs> and he's coming back to get her. But no, no, it seems like he's just out to suck up dragon power and become a god. Well, the god. If you are the again, I mean, he is the god of war, and I uh, would take it that he values strength and power as as part of that. And what yeah. is more powerful than being the only? Uh, deity yeah that is a valid point and maybe it gives us some interesting context on why the six left their homeland and came their their homeworld brought a bunch of humans and came to tyria because maybe balthazar put him in a situation where that's what had to happen because he was like i'm gonna fight and kill everyone else they're like maybe you should come and maybe maybe these gods were not actually left because of the disagreement but maybe they were in fact exiled because they were all too dangerous societally with wherever they come from and you think worshippers with them that that uh cycle could repeat itself again yeah where basically we have to boot him out and send him somewhere else or or put him down it will be i'm very curious to see that what do you think balthazar was up to in the Abaddon's reliquary. Uh, Joke my memory. So, the reason that he goes to the reliquary is ostensibly to drop off the the Lazarus the Dire thing and make us go through all sorts of traps that he can just walk through because, you know, he's got the key, basically. Um, And then he can peace out and we have to go through all this stuff and we can't really trace him anymore. So he basically was like, if it kills them, that's good. If not, then at least I've got, I bought myself some time. Uh, But I think what he was actually doing was he was grabbing more god tools. Like, for example, he had the Mirror of Lyssa, which was causing him to be be able to maintain an illusion that not even Casimir could break, uh, which I think is interesting. So I think that there's a level of which he went to the reliquary to get a tool to do something and i think it's going to have a lot to do with what is happening with the forged in the expansion pack Mm -hmm. uh basically balthazar has these new minions that are going to crop up in the expansion pack called the forged and they are actual people that have been converted into these like metal and lava war machines and now that might be partially because he absorbed the power of of a few elder dragons. Uh, if he if he absorbed power from Primordius and Jormag at all, he also was absorbing partially Mordramoth's and partially Zaitan's effects. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that maybe that's where he's getting that. Uh, it's also possible, though, that he stole something from Doom or Grenth that allows you to take the souls of beings and sort of manipulate them. Or my last theory on where the Forged are coming from and what Balthazar was doing is he was figuring out how Shiro made the Shiroken, and basically the Forged are the Shiroken of uh, of this expansion pack. 
and they're 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 something along those lines. I mean, they're also along the lines of Ula's work on golemancy, tying souls into a golem, uh, and and sort of necromancy, which could be could be interesting. Which is why I think there may be something going on with uh, since necromancy and golemancy are essentially the same magic. Uh, there could very well be a uh, a grunt tool that he stole. So I'm very curious to see what Balthazar's up to and what he's doing with what he got out of the reliquary well so he has uh or he is building presumably between now and the expansion an army of forged and so the the theories that you're suggesting are about corruption or the that we've seen with the elder dragons where they corrupt people and creatures with their power so perhaps having absorbed some of that he can do the same or he's picking up a tool from the reliquary which allows him to have that kind of power but um, I, when you, you keep talking about the Forged, and it reminded me about uh, in the Fisher of Woe, there's the Eternal Forge. Yeah. And the Eternal Forge Master. So I wonder if, if you know, there, there are already ties to forging and forgery in um, Balthazar's yeah. realm. So it may just be that he already has that kind of capacity. It's true. Now, the weird, now the interesting thing is I went and did a bunch of Fisher World research when I was thinking about this. He doesn't have any minions though that he took the souls of and forged. There right. are things out there. So this is this this is sort of new f- from what we saw in the Fisher World, but yeah, that that is definitely another thing is that he he definitely forges things in the in the forge um and the Eternal Forge Master. So he definitely has some level of that power too. So he might be taking something that someone else has and giving it a Balthazar twist, or maybe this is a new thing that he could always do. Uh, I guess we'll find out in the expansion pack. Uh, moving on, finding things out. The commander makes an interesting choice. They decide to join the Order, uh, the Shining Blade, uh, and if you reveal the Shining Blade secrets, you are instigibbed. Uh, you, you just straight up die. Uh, which... Seems a bit weird, and also, and your character at one point asks, hey, if I do this, am I going to be, after I've done this, after he has done this thing, he's like, so what, am I now at the Queen's beck and call? And they're like, no, not really, you'll be fine. It's not going to cause you to lose any problems with your with your current duties. And I was like, this is the worst decision that my character has ever made. What did you think about the decision to join the Shining Blade and the fact that you now, if your character ever reveals the secrets of the Shining Blade, you will be killed? I guess uh, looking at it now and having it framed in that way, there wasn't really any choice to it. So we're just plotting along the set path of the story. Like, yes, this is what yeah. you are now doing. You are now choosing to do this because the goal at the end of it is to defeat Lazarus. And so it's the means to the end. Um and Except that, that sense, wasn't even our goal. That our goal was like purely to find Balthazar. Like we had put Lazarus behind us. We're like, eh. And that sure. was sure. But I guess for me, if I'd, uh, if I'd, it does. I mean, when I still think about it, like, hey, Lazarus showed up. Oh wait, it's not Lazarus. It's Balthazar. Hey, Lazarus is actually still here. Um, then you would be like, well, let's go kill him, and maybe it won't be Lazarus again. It could be someone else. But it wasn't this time. It was definitely Lazarus. Yeah. So that is. Go ahead. Uh, 
yeah, I, did, I wasn't actually <laughs> coming up with anything. Okay. But to carry so, on with uh, what you were saying or asking, yeah, didn't really have any a sense of control over that decision. So now I, I just whatever consequences there are, that is what the story is. Yeah. So from my own character, like headcanon, definitely would never do that because that's that's cray cray. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. What I would be very concerned of is like halfway through this story, our character has to pull a Logan. <laughs> in the future. Which would, in the future, like I would be so ticked if that happens. Like we're about to do something super important and because of this stupid oath we swore, we have to run away with our tail between our legs and we don't have a choice. Because note the fact that after Logan spent a lot of time with the Queen, that no one knows where he went, he all of a sudden, he couldn't talk about it. And when he did, he just, when he thought about talking about it, he was like, mm, nope, not going to do it. Oh, uh, you think he's part of the Shining Blade? Oh, he definitely took the oath. And the entire reason that he noped out is because of that stupid oath. So you're now elevating it above he had no control when he noped out because Mesmer's too. He had no control when he noped out because Shining Blade Oath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now, instead of us being like, hey, Mesmer's got no control over me, crap, I have a Shining Blade Oath. Yeah. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I... That's everything that happened in that story instance. I'm like, this is exactly what Logan did. <laughs> Oh no, this is not going to end well for our character. Uh, that's true. And I was like, uh, this won't end well. Yeah. Uh, well, he was right. <laughs> uh, so it's been made clear by the show notes to me that there was a lot of stuff happening off screen that I didn't necessarily follow closely enough uh, regarding Brown. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Brom apparently took enough Norn north to straight up corner Jormag, uh, which is kind of weird. Uh, Justin is not pleased. Drybach uh, <laughs> is not pleased. He wrote, I asked, I, I wrote in the show notes, he cornered Jormag. How in the world did he do that? And Justin's response was, response was because ArenaNet told and did not show. They've never done anything remotely to show us that Bram is in any way the badass that he seems to think he is. He's just whiny, annoying character. Kate countered with the statement, It's not just Bram. He's supposed to be leading the Norn people up there. And obviously the Norn are pretty awesome, even if they're being led by Bram. Yes. So, so, so I feel like... Okay, that makes sense. Notwithstanding, Norn are freaking awesome, so it's not surprising if you manage to get a whole bunch of them together, take them up to an Elder Dragon, they're going to give it some trouble. Yeah, I Is mean... Is Bram really it... capable of galvanizing a people, which even in Guild Wars 1, when they were faced with the, trouble, uh, the danger of an Elder Dragon, responded by sending a single Norn? Yeah. I don't think that he is, but if you take a whole bunch of Norns who are who are sick and tired of living south and want to go back home, I think that uh, really he just happens to be riding the wave of the prophecy against the uh, cracked tooth, uh, yeah. because he was able to crack the tooth. And so I think it's I think it's less that he has organized the Norn and that it's just a bunch of Norns that are like, oh, finally we can go home, and they all just start marching. 
And I guess it seems that we always just need one whipping boy that we can just lambast about yeah. as a character. I don't, and I, I don't Brahms have... ended up in that position somehow. Yeah, I don't actually have as much of a problem with Brahm as most people do. I feel like a lot of people are saying he's not super Norn because he's super like whiny and emotional, but Norn are just super yeah, emotional. Like that's that's like and so people are like, That's not Norn. I'm like you know, if you took a Norn and made him really sad, like I feel like that's how a Norn would deal with being sad, is just wanting to punch everything. And so I, I, yeah, I think he's actually kind of in line with how Norn deal with grief. Yeah, I think it just uh, it grates with the players or the player player characters as wanting would you know in us as a player character in Brahms' position would not act in that way. And so when we see him act that way, uh, we are frustrated because yeah. we have uh, better ways to handle that. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah. Although, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I mean, my headcanon for Shongoku has him pretty straight up messed up. Uh, and he's done some stuff pretty Bram-like in the past narrative. So, I guess maybe that's more how I understand him, is that, you know, you do have, like, grief can make you do crazy things. So... I'm definitely not on the Bram hate wagon like I had been on the Traherne hate wagon or the Cormier hate wagon. Uh, I definitely come out the back end going, I kind of feel for the dude. So he's got a bunch of His... Norn together. They yeah. cornered Jormag, and Jormag has now gone back to sleep. Yeah, so he goes back to sleep at about the same time as uh, Primordius does, and it takes a while for us to get in, for Timey to make, get in contact with him because of, I guess, magic. Uh, stuff. Uh, so she contacts us during this and says, oh, hey, by the way, they cornered Jeremag, but then he went back to sleep. He still wants to kind of kill this dragon, so uh, that may be something that we're going to have to deal with in, in Living World Season 4, I suspect, because it sounds like they want to really focus in on Ritlock and Casimir in the next expansion pack. Uh, so I don't think we're necessarily going to get a lot of Bram uh, in this next expansion pack. So we may have to, Living World Season 4 may really drill into the north and dealing with the fallout of Jormag, resettling, getting the Norn back in like their old lands and help and, and interacting with rocks, which I think would also, if my theories are correct, then lead into expansion pack 3, which is going to be a char expansion, <laughs> I can almost guarantee you. Guild Wars 3 charm again and is still alive. Guild Wars, yep, yep. Which, by the way, oh, I had a new version of Charmageddon, which was basically a uh, post-apocalyptic Dark Souls. Uh, anyways. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. So, with all this stuff with the Elder Dragons popping up and disappearing uh, in the flash of an eye is something that has uh, frustrated me a little bit about the way the story is going in the last season, I suppose. We had... Well, the way the story had been built up from the start of the game was um, we had a whole core campaign leading up to Zaitan and then the promise of an epic uh, final fight against the unfathomably large and powerful Elder Dragon, uh, which didn't quite deliver on its promise, but still, story-wise, was an epic ending to, um, to yeah. that arc. And then going forward into the expansion the next promise oh there's another you know 
you thought Zaitan was bad. Here's another one. He does things totally differently. He's going to get in your mind. He's he's corrupting Silvari. Another build-up, perhaps a little shorter because the expansion was more focused in terms of the story. It had one sort of core story. It wasn't branching and dealing with all the races and all that kind of build-up. But still, we had that payoff at the end. We get to fight Zaitan and at Mordremoth. And this time, again, a little bit iffy because the fight was done twice. One in a big open world uh, set piece in Dragon Stand. And then the other one with a weirdly modeled uh, kind of one-on-one encounter in Zaitan. I keep saying Zaitan in Mordremoth's mind. But still, it was that very definite build-up and payoff to this epic bad uh, guy at the end. And since then, we've just been like all over the place, uh, build up to some more dragons arriving. Suddenly there are two on the field and then two disappear in almost as quickly or in almost a short amount of time. Uh, and so I don't know if, that, if that's just teasing me too much, um, but I'm, I'm not a fan of that aspect of it. And it feels like they're just having to do it so that we can draw attention off to this new story on the side where we're dealing with something totally different and not really related to the dragons. Yeah, I think part of it is just the frustration with trying to make the Elder Dragons a compelling villain. Uh, I thought they did a pretty good job with Mordremoth, but there were some definite issues with uh, Heart of Thorns from a narrative standpoint with uh, just how rapidly you move through the story. Uh, but uh, it will be interesting to see if Balthazar does actually make a more compelling villain than than the dragons. Like, if they can really give him sort of that villainous persona that he needs to really feel like he's a threat. I think Um, uh, he already starts off with the benefit of us having to question whether, in fact or more easily questioning whether, in fact, he is a villain. Um, the Elder Dragons yeah. could question that because it's just their nature, right? They were consuming things right. because that was their nature. Uh, and then the difference with Balthazar is that he has um, agency and he and morality, I guess, some sense of it, even though it may be different from what uh, the races of Tyria believe in. Um, but yeah, it could be really interesting to really toy with us and our opinion of him as to whether or not he is he is the bad guy and whether or not we are the good guys. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see how that how that whole thing flows into the new into the new season. Uh, speaking of flow, we have looked we've we've now played through a lot of Living World, uh, specifically Living World season three. We just finished. What is one thing that you would do to Living World Season 3 to improve it, and why would you do that, Christian? Oh, boy. Um, let's see. It's not something I think about a lot, and when I pose a question like that, I want to come up with a good answer. <laughs> so if you have some ideas, how about you go ahead, and I'll see if I can riff off that. Okay, yeah. Apparently, according to the show notes, as written by Spirit, I am only allowed to give one answer. And I think what I would do is... 
What's one thing I would change about Living World season about season three? I would in they did a lot of stuff right with Living World season three. Like the maps were fabulous. I like the map currency. All of that was really, really good. Um, there are some frustrations with the narrative that I had, and a few of the more punchy moments didn't hit me as well as I think they wanted them to. But I really feel like the one thing that I would hope that I see them improve, and I think that they're beginning to fi try and figure it out, they're working at it, is they didn't juggle the ensemble cast that they have as well as I feel like they could. It's it's like, for example, the issues with Bram, the issues with like what's going on with the rocks, Marjorie and Casimir, Marjorie and Casimir just straight up disappearing for a ton of the narrative and then coming back uh, at the very last moment uh, just to, just to sort of exist within a situation. So there's, there was a lot of, uh, I feel like they had a lot of missteps on the, on telling the story of the of the cast within the context of what is happening and giving you those those story beats that really really allow you to empathize timey i think did a fabulous job they did a pr very good job with timey because she was there she was calling you she was funny she was engaging as a character um some people don't like her now but for the most part i think timey is sort of like now like top 10 Togo-esque, because everyone <laughs> loves Togo. Uh, no, she's better than Togo. Menlo-esque characters. All the, uh, I all think the people boys. would uh, dispute that choice as well. <laughs> ah, Menlo's dope. Uh, so, okay. Well, whoever you think Guild Wars 1 was good, Koss. If you, he's, <laughs> she's Koss. Well, and uh, with the new hairstyles <laughs> and faces, we had a number of people... Uh, oh, here we go, here we go. Cosplaying Cos in Guild Wars 2. Nice. I I was so close to to building a Cos lookalike. I was like, so tempted. No, I'm not going to, but I might. I, I created a level 1 warrior, and he's just sitting there. And I'm like, I should really just turn him into Cos. So I pulled up I might the, do that still. I pulled up the Living World Season 3 page on the wiki, and uh, boy... That's a big thing, uh, which is yeah. why I was like, hmm, what do I say in answer to this question? Uh, so I guess to quickly uh, run over, it's got all of the raids, all of the raid wings. That's all part of uh, Living World Season 3. It had all the current events and then all of the episodes as well. So uh, I really did not engage in current events. It's not a format that... Uh, drags me in i guess i'm very particular like when i go in to play guild wars i have in my mind uh, what i'm going to do and what goal i have and then i go and do that and the current events was kind of more a thing that you had to want to do on the side for me at least was something want to do on the side and would mean i felt like the game was forcing me to go and do that rather than me uh, wanting or choosing to go and do that so i didn't really engage in that so perhaps my the thing i would change was uh make the whole current events narrative 
uh, more engaging or approachable to people like me. Uh, but that may be, I may be in the minority, so that may be why uh, I didn't engage as well on that. And in fact, it's a roaring success to everyone else. So, yeah. I did not, I did not complete much of that. Uh, I know a few people who did, and it is definitely interesting, and I like it. It would be very, I agree that there, it would be interesting if instead, uh, if they created a current events story uh, step in the story journal. Where you can click on current events and click start current events, and you start and as they come out, you know, um, the one difficulty there though is a lot of the current events were hidden, and it was sort of like this: hey yeah. guys, they're paying attention. It was almost like a arg in yeah, game, and that that really like reality. for me, I don't go out of my way um, to work that out. Uh, I like to yeah. have a clear understanding of uh, why I am doing this. Uh, because I like to be, I guess, efficient with the time I have to play. So I'll have a golden mine for a reward that I'm after and clear steps on how to get there. And the current uh, events, I guess, weren't in that format, so it didn't suit me. Yeah. Speaking of uh, format and clear steps and, and playing the way you want, there was a balance patch recently. Yes. Uh, and by recently, I mean on Tuesday. Yes. So yesterday. Uh, it, it's a doozy. I am going to call it the Grand Nerf Fest of 2017. Oh, I'm sure it, like, everyone calls every balance patch the Grand Nerf Fest. Except, like, Except this one, it was really the Nerf Fest. I know. Yeah, this one was like... Normally, it's like one class sort of gets the stick. In this, it was like... There was almost no one happy about the changes. Almost. So, they're, they're... I think the broad stroke across all of it was for the point of view uh, that I have, which is uh, playing P PvE almost exclusively and high-end PvE. The changes to food finally came in um, where they changed all the utility foods, uh, which had percentage-based... Um, stat bonuses to condition duration and boon duration um, to be in line with other food. And that was really, I guess, uh, required and necessary. I don't know if you guys have talked about uh, this on the last couple of episodes. I'm trying to think back now whether you've covered it. We talked about it last okay, episode. So in short, it's to bring it in line with power food so that they, they are equivalent in terms of the stats that they give you. So, yeah. given we are in a situation currently in the game where the balance on the whole is uh, some of the most diverse that we've seen, almost every class has a power build and a condition build, which arguably are viable. Um, so when you do one thing that affects all condition builds, then everyone is going to feel like they got nerfed. Right. Because everyone's got... Now, I, I'm going to do a quick rundown of the various sort of significant changes that happened. Sure. Uh, I guess, but, and before you start uh, into that, I would definitely temper um, your expectations when you're listening to us, because it's still very early days. We don't know what right. impact this is going to have. The meta is changing as, at an alarming rate as the, the phrase goes. It is. So yeah. let the dust settle. Don't make any rash decisions. I'm sure we'll find coming out the other side of it, there will still be 
viable ways of playing your preferred class in your preferred way. It just might be slightly different to the way you currently do it. Unless you're a necro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Uh, I'm going to do everyone but necro first. But. Uh, so, yeah. Elementalist uh, got nerfed pretty heavily on the DPS side. Uh, the the But a lot of the elementalists actually understand why. Because they were there, a tempest is basically best in slot, just straight healing, uh, compared to any of the other classes. Like they just have more healing output than anyone else. But they were also amazing DPS, and they weren't really sacrificing anything to get both of those things. Well, other uh, than so total different gear stats, but in terms of yeah, right. But you could still have pretty solid DPS with the with the gear stat. And you still could have really good healing with DPS gear. Okay. Um, so, so you they weren't. A lot of people were saying elementalists. Initially, a lot of people were saying elementalists were dead. Uh, but then uh, people started playing, and they were like, "Oh no, elementalist definitely has a lower D, uh, tempest specifically. You can go core elementalist still fabulous DPS, um, top tier. But tempest DPS is definitely a lot lower." Um, it's, it dropped about, uh, it dropped from like 39k to like 33k in an optimal situation, uh, which is, uh, definitely not dead. That's still top tier damage output. So, Elementalist seems to be in a pretty good space. They did nerf its ability to do damage on large hitbox targets, and they also changed up the functionality, which is interesting, of the conjured weapons and i was expecting them to actually add ammo to conjured weapons but in fact what they did is they just made conjure weapons a set timeline uh, and seems like they gave some pretty solid buffs to those so it i think they did nerf some of the fire fields but uh but i think that they're still pretty viable which is nice so elementalist on the whole Definitely your damage will be lower than it was, but you're still in really good good shape, uh, just from, from the meta perspective. Uh, did you have anything that you'd saw on the elementals that specifically stuck out to you? Uh, no, not in particular. I am not a big Ellie player. It's just not one of the classes I've yeah. really uh, gotten to. I would play it a lot more, but there, you know, there's only so much time. Right. And I'm definitely going to do a thousand foot view on this. Uh, Spirit, when she is, when she and Justin and company are able to get together and we'll do another podcast probably next week. Uh, if we find time, she'll be able to sort of give like the meta changes that have occurred because she's, she's very much so on top of that. Uh, we'll probably be talking a lot though next week. I want to get this podcast in just because next week we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the, uh, the play, the game, the play test that comes out this uh, Friday. So I'm going to move on to Mesmer. Mesmer changes basically one of the mo one of the most major shifts is how mantras play, and the it doesn't really affect the meta Mesmer from a PVE standpoint. Um, it does make certain PVP builds a little bit weaker um, because you no longer can get three mantras um, to cast at once, but for the most part. It seems like the core meta builds are are not significantly hampered by the changes that the Mesmer took. And what we're seeing mostly is, is them 
tweaking with some out of favor builds and trying to, and I think that's actually kind of a theme here. And a lot of the salt that's uh, getting thrown out is that it's out of favor builds that they're, they're tweaking with to make more interesting and potentially stronger in the expansion pack with uh when mixed with the new, the new, uh, the new specialization. So I, I can jump uh, in on Mesmer. It is, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Mesmer. Yeah. Good. so um, broadly the, in PVE, Phantasms, uh, with regards to power builds, got buffed. Um, so it looks like it's possible that the power Mesmer build is now on par with the Condi Mesmer DPS build, uh, which is good. And so it'll be interesting to see how those change um, still going forward, because they're still just kind of outside of uh, being really viable. They are useful in certain scenarios. The other major change um, facing Mesmer players, in particular the Chronomancer, is the change that we mentioned to the food and boon duration. Um, most Mesmers will have to re-gear, unfortunately, because it's not going to be possible to run full Berserker armor and trinkets and still get your boon duration capped out. So that means if you are changing armor from Berserker to Commander's gear, you're losing runes. So Dragon Stand is probably going to be a popular place for some salty mesmers over the next week as they try and get those leadership runes that they need to replace. And I, for one, was lucky enough that I had a bunch of proofs of heroics and only needed to a couple more runs of Dragon Stand because I was a hipster non-leadership runes user and now I have finally been converted because there's just no way I can do it anymore without leadership runes. Oh. I am sorry to hear that. It's those. fine. Although, I'm working on Shur the Legendary Hammer, and uh, I do need another, at least one or two more runs of Dragon Stand before I'm done on my yeah. Crystal and Ore. My so. next uh, Legendary is uh, Astralaria, so I'll have to head back there as well. So I'm not done with Dragon Stand uh, yet, which is fine, because I do enjoy it these days. I didn't in the past. It is a really... But it's yeah. good. I, one of the things is... Just a just to sidetrack really quick. One of the fabulous things about uh, that I've been experiencing is I've just been tagging up on these maps in Guild in uh, Heart of Thorns, and it's been a lot of fun just to tag up, and they don't care that you're terrible. <laughs> uh, as long as you don't die a lot and like everyone can sort of rally around you, like they're fine. Like there's not a lot of yelling or anything like that. And if you like run around and type in all caps with say chat, like people will start role playing <laughs> with you and it's a lot of fun when it comes. Um, and then I got, yeah, it's so when good. it comes to the meta events for sure. Uh, in heart of thorns it, for the most part, it, there just needs to be a tag on the map. You don't necessarily have to know it in and out. The majority of people know what they're doing. Yeah. And if you're honest, then you can yeah. get someone so to explain things to everyone else. Yep. Um, but moving so, back to the definitely tag up. Yeah, moving back up. Uh, let's get back in range of that and hey. talk about the ranger. Hey. So, ranger was kind of a mixed bag. I I need to talk to someone about what happened to their signets and why. Like I liked ranger signet play. It didn't feel like it was that much of an issue. Like I kind of liked the fact that. You can choose to have a more powerful version of the Signet um, by activating it, or you can just have the Signet constantly. Like, I like that choice, because there were very specific situations where I actually, you know, played Signet. Um, not necessarily meta, 
And I guess maybe that's it, is they're trying to get signets in the meta, which is weird. Um, did you see anything in particular about the ranger that stuck out I to you? I read it uh, very closely, or at all. <laughs> I'm just taking a quick look at it now. Yeah, the ranger response on the forums and in on the forums was really a mixed bag. Like Some of them were really excited about certain changes, and some were still frustrated about certain things. A lot of people are still frustrated that uh, they have to rely on pet AI. And I think a lot of those people are just going to go immediately to the uh, spirit beast in the expansion pack and just be like, goodbye, pet. I hate mm. you, and I never want to see you again. What I, uh, so, uh, what I have picked up, some of the reaction coming out of the balance patches now that potentially um, there is a change in how Condi builds work for rangers. Um, and it may not be that you run ranger anymore. It may be a change back to Condi Druid. But again, that's just speculation and theory crafting in the early days. Uh, we'll see how that yeah. pans out. So I guess that, that might indicate um, there was there were some you know, significant ch changes there that I didn't yeah, read. To, to some traits. Yeah, I mean, there were some significant changes to their traits, but I would... It just didn't seem like anything that is going to really change how people play their class unless they were playing an off-the-wall spec. Um, which uh, I know that that was what most people were complaining about, is they're like, I built this spec, it worked, and now it doesn't mm -hmm. because you broke it. Um, so it's it's a mixed bag. Um, but for the most part, Rangers didn't seem super angry about anything. Uh, moving on. The thieves were super excited about the sword changes. Wait, the uh, thief didn't get nerfed? Um, there were some nerves, nerfs, nerves. <laughs> there were some nerfs theoretically on the signets and on a signet all and like an all signet mm -hmm. build. But for the most part, like there was one guy who was just yelling about, it and everyone else in the thief forum was like, "No, dude, that." that you are playing the weirdest <laughs> spec, and there is literally one niche place in the game where it actually worked. And I understand you can't use it in that niche place anymore, but there are literally like 14 others, or not 14, but there's like four other specs that you can run that are functionally the same. Uh, you just can't use all signets and press one. You have to actually use three or four other skills, and he was not pleased with that. He Basically, Heartseeker spam got nerfed. Um, so yeah so that that's about the only thing that really changed and thieves were super excited about the changes to sword um sword dagger is amazing i have seen a few of them uh justin was talking about them in uh in chat in this in our chat earlier today when we were building show notes and he was like oh my goodness i just got hit by a thief in dub v dub and they are monsters so that's kind of exciting so uh it sounds like uh thieves are doing good and not and a lot of their meta builds were untouched for the most part. Uh obviously Kate will be able to tell us more about whether or not that is actually true or not later on. Uh moving on, Scrapper, a lot of the forums was mostly people complaining about the fact that Engineer moving on to Engineer, that uh Engineer was not that engineer core specs were better than adding scrapper in for a lot of the, the meta yeah. stuff. And they're basically their argument that it, why have an elite spec if it's not actually better than the other specs? Yeah. Um, it's, I think something that I've sensed as well with the so. trailer for the hollow Smith Mansa. Yeah. Um, yeah. The hollow Smith is that it didn't 
excite me. And that reminded me that Scrapper really got no game time from me in Heart of Thorns because it would appear to be a predominantly PvP-focused spec. So yeah. uh, that being the case, if the majority of the community is PvE-oriented, then um, yeah, I can see why that, that would be their response. Yeah. And I think Engineer is interesting. I think it's in, from what I've seen, it's in a pretty good place. It's still got some amazing Condi DPS and stuff that it can do um, in PvE. Uh, so I think it's, I think that from the from the PvE players, they seem to think there was a lot of talk within the context of this balance patch, within the context of how things are going to change in the expansion pack, um, which we're going to talk a little bit about with the uh, with the Necro change. Uh but the Holosmith was sort of the thing where they're like saying, well, the Holosmith is not really going to change how I play NG just because core NG is mm-hmm. so good. So it'll be interesting to see if Holosmith actually does change a few of those minds. Um, but yeah, for the most part, NG changes. A lot of people liked the NG change. Like the engineers liked their changes. So it, this actually was not the great nerf fest of 2017. <laughs> it turns out that a lot of people people like these. It's just, I'm a, I play Necromain, so it's... It always feels like the Great Nerf Fest of 2017. Um, yeah. Speaking of the Great Nerf Fest of 2017, the one class that is they... the favorite class of all balance patches oh. finally got some <laughs> some bad news. It got like it got one nerf. It literally like people are talking about how okay, so Guardian, yeah. we're moving on. <laughs> the to chosen now. one, Guardian Staff. The Guardian Staff one skill got its distance, its range reduced to half it's 300 range now instead of 600 and people are really sad (laughs) about that they buffed like every other skill on staff like every other skill is better you literally can just stand in the middle of people and give them stacks of might and heal them with staff four now like they added healing that scales it already had that they just changed the way it worked, where before all the healing came at the end, which meant you had to channel all the way through, and it's one of the rema- few remaining scenarios where while you're channeling, you're rooted to the ground. So it's a really an unfavorable situation yeah. for you. So now they've tweaked that so that it pulses small amounts on each pulse, and then leads up to a final big payoff heal. Um, so at least if you do need to cancel out and move, you do get some might and some healing on the way. Um, right. So okay. I think it's just a it's a so, more a quality of life change, uh, usability change there. Yeah, uh, the staff one change. Who knows? Maybe the cleave strength in World v World is a little bit strong, so that's that's where they've nerfed it. It's yeah. certainly not an issue in high end PVE in um, in things like raids and fractals because staff and- is not. Uh, <laughs> not used there yeah so it's it's farming or world v world and the farmers are upset and maybe i guess the world v worlders might be upset yeah i i felt more like farmers like there were not a lot of ww people that were like oh no i can't hit someone like i can't cleave a bunch of people yeah so i think i think it was a good on the plus side um um, signet's got a big change for guardians as did spirit weapons uh guardians now have really high um group buffing potential uh to the level of warriors with banners if they uh use the actives on their signets uh you can get power and condition damage depending on which signet you take 
uh, basically all the signets now have an effect that you can pulse out to allies around you when you trigger them. Uh, it includes the heal. Uh, so that's really cool and interesting to see. Um, there were some other slight changes to spirit weapons. It's hard to say how that's shaking out, whether that's making them viable for the Condi build, which was right on the cusp of being uh, adoptable in, in high-end PvE. Uh, look for um, World of Enders, Bootspur, to uh, to hash that out, because that's his, his uh, prodigal son, so to speak. Um, but it seems like they are going to be right up there now uh, in terms of their DPS has gone up slightly in PvE. They have really good uh, group buffing, and they've always... Yeah, so they could be in the meta um, once again alongside Elementalists as top DPS roles. Yeah, so I think Guardian ended up really good. Yeah, it's interesting how they've so. been the favorite child. They never seem to get nerfed, and yet they've fallen out um, of favor in raiding because they're just f trailing in damage and uh, group buffing. So I think that's what this patch tried, tried to remedy a little bit. Yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see how they play out. I'm definitely going to be playing a lot more Guardian in the expansion yeah. pack just because of my the, my desi my decision on legendary weapons. <laughs> um. So the other frontliners uh, to round off uh, the Revenant uh, to begin with, or the Radiator, as we like to call it. Radiator. Um, I did, uh, I've been playing it yeah. recently. Talk about by it. Kite Hands in Deimos um, as a tanky Revenant build, just sitting out there healing myself. I also like to mess around with the Condi build, which is really close to being, um, I guess, up there as a top Condi DPS. It's uh, It also pumps out Might, which is handy. So we often just run with one PS Warrior. And hard to say, um, I don't think anything's really changed there for me. Um, the food changes may have an impact on the Condi build. However, they've also, uh, as of today, I think they added some more patch notes, which got left out, which said that Torment and Confusion are both having their damage normalized in PvE. And what that means is that their base damage tick is the same as Bleeding. And then their um, activation through movement or through skill usage has been tuned to um, to reflect that as well. So I think the Revenant might just come out even out of that change and and we're yet to see how that uh yeah what's gonna pan out yeah i'm curious uh i also have seen a few things about like the uh, revenant healing being an interesting thing because apparently That's you can create right. all the spirit shards now and they and don't go so away to to so. mention again uh World of Enders, Bootsburg, he had a bad build not so long ago, which may have actually been an amazing build and ruined PvP for a while, where Ventari Tablet just camps on a point and explodes the tablet, knocking everyone back and dropping fragments everywhere, which then you just run around and pick up to heal yourself. Those fragments now last twice as long. So if you want an easy time in PvP, you might want to dust off that and annoy the hell out of everyone else while, while you can. Uh, that'll be. We'll see if that if that's a split because there was definitely a lot of skills that were split that did not 
get mentioned. Like they, they, a lot of the patch notes were basically just straight PVE skill updates, and then a lot of people would get confused when they get into PvP and they're like, "Wait, why are these? Why did this not change?" So who knows? We'll have to check on that one. Uh, did you talk about Warrior? Basically, they nerfed Condi. Uh, they nerfed Power Berserker. Um, uh, the show note says nerf buff, so. So there is a uh, Berserker buff oh, that you get, and right. they nerfed that buff. Um, and so apparently it doesn't really affect Condi, but what it was used for was to create a power build with Zerker. Um, so apparently Zerker power is nerfed and not viable you now. Mean, Zerker you, Zerker, you is... mean Berserker, the elite specialization? Berserker. Not the, not right. the Berserker, the elite specialization. Okay. Not the gear stat. Um, so according to what I read, basically Berserker got nerfed um, on Warrior. And so that's no longer a power build. It is now mm. just a Condi build. And a lot of people that were running it as a power build are yeah. very not pleased. But according to the people who have not been running Berserker power build and been running just core Warrior power build, the, it, it's actually fine. Like, there's still a very viable power spec for Because power builds... Um, you just can't use this elite yeah, specialization. Power build has definitely been uh, on the way out in the shadow of the Condi build. Um, and it seems... Right, yeah, because it of the, seems con the Condi yeah. build looks alright coming out of the food changes and whatever uh, other changes have occurred to the warrior traits. Uh, I saw a video and the, yeah. the, the claim DPS number on that video looked fine uh, looked similar to what we would expect pre prior to this patch so yeah so there we go speaking of uh nerfs and buffs let's let's get to the last one and then we'll we'll call it a night uh the necro right we didn't skip necro. that <laughs> we're coming back to it <sighs> all right yeah we're coming Step back to yourself the necro. in folks we're gonna be here uh... for another hour <laughs> no I'm, i want i want to go to bed uh, but let's talk about the Necro. Uh, so they nerfed Death Shroud I... the first day. They basically took away a trait that I never used, so it wasn't a huge change. The weird thing is, is they did a lot of nerfs to Necro, and it doesn't really change the Necro numerically at all, which is weird. I've been running map What do you think when you saw the uh, changes? On a Necro at the moment, it's... Uh running some stupid gear it's a power build with a lot of health you know that's that weird uh, crit build yeah yeah it's not valkyries. valkyries it's just soldiers because yeah. i had some soldiers gear but my goal okay. would be to make yeah. valkyries and when i started playing after the patch i noticed immediately uh, having not necessarily picked up on it in the patch notes but the death shroud change i was not in death shroud very long at all it was draining very quickly um, which yeah was which didn't feel great I guess <laughs> like you're built yeah. around having the survivability from that and then when that gets reduced you suddenly feel a lot more exposed. Yeah, so I never really ran that that trait, so it didn't really affect me because I would I would stand stance in and out because at the end of the day. DPS from a Necro does not come from Death Shroud. Death Shroud is a pure survivability utility thing in many cases, except for uh, 
Reaper Shroud 5, Reaper Shroud 4 world mm-hmm. to stack as much bleed as possible. But aside from that, I've never done much. Uh, so what the big change was is they took Vital Persistence, completely changed it so that it... Uh, actually, I think they removed it to, for all intents and purposes. Um, oh, no, 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 no. They didn't remove it. They changed it. Basically, normally what it does is it reduced the degen of death shroud skills by 50 uh, of death shroud by 50 percent. so whenever you would do something in death shroud and it would reduce death shroud either the passive death shroud dbgen or the skill dgen it would reduce it by 50 percent. and they changed it so that skills now uh cost 25 20 percent less uh in death shroud so using the skills is causes less but it doesn't and and this is specifically as far as I can tell a scourge change because the scourge doesn't have a, really a death shroud it has skills that trigger in death shroud so uh, I think that's really what's going on is it, it was a scourge change the big thing is though they today uh, this morning they updated it so that twenty five percent of the death shroud, that there is a twenty five percent death shroud degen reduction across the board for all specs um, it's it's just baked into the class now. So while it's not as good as the trait, which was 50%, uh, it should help a lot of Necros out. So they're at least listening to Necro, to Necros. So the cost of skills um, the big thing, is now less, but the passive degen is The faster. cost is... Right. So it's not as bad as it was like if you were playing mm-hmm. before this morning, but it is definitely sure. still faster than it was. Um, you can offset it a little bit, by abandoning the 50% or the 20% damage increase to shroud skills um, by taking the skill that allows you to, or the trait, specifically the trait that allows you to use, uh, to have signet passives work while you're in death shroud, which is kind of helpful because that can give you a 500 power boost, I think, in shroud because of the uh, signet of, they, they buff signets across the board as a result. Um, and you can also have Signet of Undeath active, uh, which generates 3% life force each second, which offsets oh, yeah. a little bit of your, uh, your loss. Good to know. So, so it's not necessarily into the world, but the, you definitely have to play around. I'll slap another Signet on my bow when I'm just um, running around in the open world and I, yeah. and I want to feel like I can stick in Death out a bit longer. I think what really made a lot of necros sad about this patch it was not that the change was not necessarily that that shroud change that just sort of was for them icing on the cake but a lot of people were expecting reaper to become a power build in this patch um and they were expecting a lot of changes to the reaper core line to get away from to get away from the the sort of weird Condi hybrid that it's existed in uh, and move more towards just being a pure co- uh, pure power spec. And that did not happen yeah, at all. Yeah, so there was, a, I think, a little bit of a, uh, a mixed message or miscommunication. I think it was in yeah. the post-show of the announcement uh, for the expansion um, when the Scourge was being looked at, yeah. given the weapon uh, that it now has access to being the torch right and that being torch. condi yeah. based and then a lot of the traits likely being condi based 
made people think, oh, okay, so the Scourge is supposed to be the Condi class and the support class. And that means yeah. that the Reaper, which we already thought uh, in Heart of Thorns with the um, Greatsword that, and all the other cool tools that you got given, that that really should be a power class. The expectation was that that was going to be rectified in this balance patch. And that doesn't seem to have happened. Right. No. Um, so Necro really isn't in a worse place from a meta standpoint or in a better place. Um, that maybe there's some fiddly things that you can do to make them better. Um, but for the most part, eh, it, it's sort of some weird changes that were, no one was really expecting. Um, especially like Lich Form. Like they keep playing with Lich Form and I don't get their thought process behind their changes to Lich Form. Aside from like nerfing it so that it can't bleed the living daylights out of everything. Um, the new Lich Form, basically, they got they basically killed the... They killed the bleed of Lich Form's minions entirely now. Uh, you can no longer summon five min like eight minions or whatever it is with a with a signet or with a mark. Now you just send minions charging at the foe to blow up. So it's a pure power thing. Um, and Lich Form's design is just weird because one of the one of the skills is using the new ammo system, and it hits random targets. Like you cannot target the skill. So basically you can just run into a group and just spam that thing off and it's going to hit a random thing rather than you being able to really like control it. And I, it's, it's like gaze of the lich. So I guess the lich just has derpy eyes that are looking all over the place so constantly. Like and it, but without the it's just, attached to it. Right. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just, the, the whole design changes just didn't do anything to actually bring Lich Form into the meta or be useful because it still has all the disadvantages of a transform. You lose your number one through five skill and get these transform skills that unless they're really good, you're going to want. Um, so I don't know. I The Lich thing is weird. I think that they, since the Lich is technically a spectral skill, I think they should just wipe out the transform effect and turn it into like a weird buff thing. Like, Whenever you apply a Condi, you apply the opposite boon to all, like, five allies around you or something. Uh, would be kind of cool. And then maybe it does a little bit of life force gain for you, and it just follows you around, and it's a permanent thing, like having Flesh Golem. I don't know. So, yeah, Necro's weird. Still very much so good in WVW, but not many other places from a meta standpoint. So there we go. That is uh, the balance patch. Kate will definitely be able to give you more details on exactly how the meta has shifted in our next episode of Relics of War. But uh, at this point, since uh, there is no... Uh, also, uh, do you want to talk about the cats for like... <laughs> sure. Yeah, let, I'm going to hit the cats really quick. Yeah, go ahead and tell us about what, uh, what changes there were to cats. Hello and welcome to Cats Cast, the Cats Cast and the cast of cats and other casts uh, today on Cats Cast. Uh, there are more cats in Guild Wars 2. Uh, it is a trend that uh, is continuing. Uh, I believe what's happened is in World v. World, is it through a jumping puzzle, you can now unlock or acquire a mini cat commander, which then also allows you for 150 gold to acquire the cat commander tag. So all the existing commander tags uh, and all the existing colors um, you now 
are duplicated with a slightly different logo to have a little cat face on them. And you can also try and shoo away your cats oh, yeah. with a water gun that you get. And if you uh, shoo away the bloodstone crazed cat, uh, you should do that and experience the joy I that is that I have not collected action. any cats. Uh, so the ones that you collect and have run around in your home instance, you can now buy toys for to interact with, I believe. And that water pistol being one of them, uh, use with caution. That's all I have to say, I guess. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, that has been another episode of Relics of War with myself, Shongaku, uh, a.k.a. Eric, and Christian, a.k.a. Sea Squirrel Run. And this has been the B-Team signing out. We will see you guys on the next episode of Relics of War. Or not, because we're the B-Team. See you later. All right. <laughs> this has been another episode of Relics of War. If you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our website and forums at relicsofwar.com, email us at relicsofwar at gmail.com, or find us on your favorite social media site just by searching Relics of ORR. If you'd like to join us in-game, you can send a whisper or in-game mail to Spiritface, or drop us a note on Twitter or our website and say hi. Lastly, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, feel free to leave us a comment and the rating you feel we deserve.